Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Well, good morning. There it is. Um, So about five weeks ago, I'm in session with a client, and I get a text from Rich that says, uh, give me a call. I've got an invite for you. Well, the last time Rich had an invite for me, it was to go play golf at Peachtree. And so I was excited. And I started thinking, I wonder, I wonder where he, he's going to take me. Uh, and so um, I start thinking, can I clear my schedule today? Can I clear it tomorrow? Yeah, I can, I can do both. That's good. I'll, I'll make this work. Uh, so as soon as my client leaves, I give him a call. And the first thing Rich says to me is, to be clear, this is not an invite to play Augusta National. <laughs> and so I was sad and I said, okay, okay, thank you for setting clear expectations. I appreciate it. Uh, and then I'm still thinking, well, I wonder where we're going to go. And then he drops this on me. Do you want to preach? And I said, Rich, that, that is mean. I said, you, you know how to get me to do what you want me to do. Just tell me you have an invite. Uh, well, with a series on Proverbs uh, about growing in wisdom, I suppose your senior pastor illustrated some, or at least shrewd manipulation. In all seriousness, though, um, yes, preaching over golf was initially a little bit of a letdown for me. Uh, I really am honored and privileged to be here, so thank you. Um, over Memorial Day, uh, my wife and I had new sod laid at our house. Uh, and I don't know how many of you have engaged in this before, but usually what they'll do is they'll say, hey, either you know, we'll spray some poison or go get some poison sprayed on the grass to kill the existing stuff to help you know, make the demo and install go a little more quickly. So I ran out to the store and bought up some concentrate and quickly read through the instructions and found the proper concentrate to water ratio of two and a half ounces of concentrate to one gallon of water. So I'm doing some math and uh, I have one of those little backpack sprayers that has a four gallon tank on it. Well, after about three hours, I had sprayed nearly 30 gallons of this stuff. And by that time, my wife and daughters had arrived back home. And so I went inside and I said, hey, I've got just one more sort of spraying I've got to go do and then I'll be done. My wife said, okay, that's great. Now, I don't know if talking to her sort of interrupted my thought process, uh, but it dawns on me as I'm filling this tank for the last time that I have been using five ounces of concentrate to four gallons of water. For three hours, I had been using half the amount of concentrate that I was supposed to. And once I realized this, I was livid with myself. And I started shameless, shamelessly, relentlessly insulting myself and my own intelligence or lack thereof and using all sorts of choice words, which were in church, so I'm going to spare you. But here I found myself making the same foolish mistake over and over and over. 
Now, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the well-known saying that insanity is defined as doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Well, here I was, unwittingly, continuing down the same wrong path for three straight hours. I like to think we've all made a mistake like this. There's a proverb that speaks to this. Proverbs 26.11 is this strange and honestly really kind of gross statement that speaks directly into this mistaken path. I want to give you all one disclaimer and tell you that um, it was actually Chuck Roberts who suggested that I preach this passage. And so if any of you have any concerning emails you'd like to send, you can direct them to him, Roberts at peachtreechurch.com. He'd be happy to handle it. But here's what the verse says. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now, before I unpack this verse, um, I want to tell you that as a therapist, with my clients, I try to be more descriptive than prescriptive. In other words, I want to try to convey a sense of reality to them rather than telling them what to do. Similarly, I find the Bible to be more of a descriptive than prescriptive manual. This proverb is a description about a dog and a fool. It's not a prescription of how to avoid foolishness. In full disclosure, I'm not a dog person. It's not that I don't like dogs. We just don't own one. I never have. And so I had to do a little research. And so I got on the good old Google, talked also to some friends who actually do own dogs to find out, is this real? Does this really happen? Do dogs really do this? I'm sure there's some dog people in the room who could confirm that, yes, in fact, dogs do this. If this was a prescriptive statement, well, then a fool could simply choose to not return to his folly. But with a dog, it does not simply choose to or not to return to its vomit. This is just the nature of a dog. How strange and gross as that sounds to us, and to be sure, it's pretty gross. It's in a dog's wiring to do this. So apparently then, the nature of a fool is to return to his foolishness. It's in our wiring to return to our folly. I want to make one brief digression about this passage. A number of different commentaries that I consulted made mention of this second nature of folly and and said that it especially had to do with drinking and a life of impurity. In the world that I work in, with issues such as addiction, this is a very clear parallel. And so the problem is that we do the same foolish things over and over, just like the addict who continually returns to their addiction. But there is a problem with the problem. And maybe you can hear it. It's in our fundamental nature as sinful people. We can't only and simply choose to not return to our folly. Put differently, it's our sin nature. And unfortunately, we all are victims of our fallen 
sinful nature. Well, so what do we do then? This morning, I want to suggest three, what I'm calling, movements. And I'm going to talk kind of in and around these this morning, but these movements are recognition, transformation, and confession. Now, these movements are not necessarily linear. They all influence and are influenced by one another, and there can even be some overlap between the three, and it kind of looks like this. You have recognition, which can lead to transformation and to confession. You have transformation that can lead to confession and to recognition, and you have confession that can lead to, uh, to more recognition and, and more transformation. So these three, they can move in this linear fashion, but they can also be more circular in nature. And so I'm going to start with recognition. How do we recognize our foolishness, the folly that we return to? Well, in preparing for this message, I chose to dive into my own folly by asking my wife. And so we were on the way home from small group one night, and she knew the passage I was preaching, and I said, Judy, what, uh, what is my vomit? And she said, how much time you got? See, we've been married for 14 years. We have been together for over 16 years. And nobody knows my foolishness quite like my wife. Her initial feedback was sarcasm and insecurity. And in my case, those two likely go hand in hand. And she also mentioned that my insecurity sometimes manifests by my wanting to leave social situations early where I don't know a lot of the people that are there. So it's sort of this form of escape. And with some really honest self-reflection, I would have to say also that anger and disorder ring very, very true for me. Now, I have certainly worked on decreasing my anger And I have found some success with that, but truthfully, it is all too easy for me to wander back there. As for this disorder, I have found some ways to work around it, but honestly, I legitimately have ADD. And so this is absolutely folly that I return to. This one in particular is a struggle that I desperately want to be different. But I've had such a difficult time experiencing true transformation, at least for more than a few days. I also decided I was going to do a little bit of informal research. And so I sent out an email to about 30 or 35 family, friends, colleagues, asking them to anonymously reply to the answer to the question of what is your own folly? And so here are the results. First of all, I want to tell you that only about 35% of those I even sent the email to actually responded. So do with that whatever you will. There were some answers that were totally unique, things like gossip and jealousy. Overwhelmingly, the most common response was anger, followed very, very closely by performance. Does that ring true in this room? And then there was anxiety or worry. The other words that more than one person cited were distraction, control, isolation, and judgment. See, recognition can come 
from self-reflection. It can come from feedback from safe and trusted community like that of my wife. And it can come from a genuine engagement with the Holy Spirit. About four years ago, uh, Judy and I were having sort of an argument. And to be clear, we're not big fighters. We weren't yelling or screaming because we don't really do a whole lot of that. Um, But in the midst of this slightly heated disagreement, uh, we were in our bedroom and I was sitting on the edge of our bed and Judy was standing. And in the midst of this back and forth, I said, um, I paused and I said, I want to say something. I want to ask you something. And I said, Judy, if there was a camera in our room right now, and they were, and that was watching what we were doing, and maybe you couldn't hear what we were saying, I said, it would, it would appear as though you're kind of more the aggressor because of her physical posture. She was standing and I was sitting. Now, for those of you who know my wife, aggressive is not the word to describe her. That's really not who she is. Uh, I, I usually like to say the nicest person in the world is how I would describe her. Uh, and so, but I said, but if you are that feeling that way, I said, it, it has to be because right now you're not feeling safe. And I said, here's the thing about that. All day, every day, in my office, I meet with couples and I help them to feel safe. And you know what? I'm really, really good at it. And I said, it is killing me that I can't do that for my own wife. It is breaking my heart. And so please, would you tell me what is it that I'm doing that has you feeling unsafe? Now I gotta tell you, be careful what you ask for because she obliged. And she said, well, Ryan, you do this thing. And I kind of got myself ready. She said, where you're smiling, but you're not happy. As soon as it came out of her mouth, and maybe sooner, I knew exactly what she was talking about. I said, oh my gosh, I am so sorry, and I know actually exactly what you're talking about. I said, Steve used to do something like that. Steve was my roommate before Judy and I got married, and he was a really good friend, but he also hated conflict. And so anytime he would need to confront me on something that I was doing that was irritating him, which, trust me, was plenty of times, he would have this sort of fake-looking smile on his face. Kind of like that. And I honestly, I remember thinking one time when this happened, I'm not joking here. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, Steve is going to kill me in my sleep. (laughs) That's really how I felt. And so I told Judy, I said, I honestly did not even know that I was doing that. But I think I might have an idea of, of how you might feel. And I said, when I'm doing that, it must be terrifying for you. In this very painful exchange, my wife helped me to recognize my folly. And this was an initial move and a way that the Holy Spirit was using my wife to help me move towards transformation. See, transformation is the meat of this sandwich. 
because we're dealing not merely with making better choices, though, to be clear, making better choices is good, but the problem remains that it is the dog being the dog that brings it back to its vomit. Likewise, it is the fool being the fool that brings him back to his foolishness. Our fundamental nature as sinful humans is what needs to be addressed. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans speaks to this, this seemingly hopeless situation. Now try and stay with me because it's a bit of a tongue twister. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Who knows what the longest running American sitcom is? I kind of hear it. The Simpsons. That's right. Can you believe 30 years and counting this show has been on? Well, way back in season two in 1990, there's an episode that brilliantly illustrates this Romans 7 passage. It was the Thanksgiving episode. And in this episode, they're all at the dinner table, and they all kind of start to come around, and Bart brings the turkey out, and Lisa, his sister, has made the centerpiece, and she has worked tirelessly on this thing. Well, Bart and Lisa begin to argue and fight, and they're wrestling back and forth with her centerpiece, and eventually it ends up in the fireplace, and it gets destroyed. And Lisa runs away crying. She's so hurt. And Bart gets punished, and... Homer and Marge yell at him and send him upstairs to his room. Well, Bart ends up running away. And he kind of goes out on the town and he has this series of run-ins with different people and conversations and he has these imaginary visions about all that's happened. And ultimately, he ends up back at the house and he finds himself on the roof of their house under the night sky. And eventually, Lisa comes and joins him on the roof. And she asks him, Bart, why did you do it? Did you do it because you're bad or because you hate me? And Bart says as he's pacing across the top of the roof, I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I enjoyed it. And I don't know why I'll do it again. <laughs> Who knew that the Simpsons would provide such a picture of Romans 7? We do it because of sin living in us. Proverbs 26.11 and Romans 7 illustrate, as John Calvin put it, our total depravity to which none are immune. This passage is a discussion on the problem of our utter inability to do anything but evil because of the power of sin. The great theologian Martin Luther said this, Indeed, it is a great consolation to us to learn that such a great apostle was involved in the same grievings and afflictions in which we find ourselves when we wish to be obedient to God. 
If our depravity could be, made, could be simply solved by making better choices, uh, I wouldn't have a job and LifeGate wouldn't exist. Some of you may be familiar with the 12 steps. Uh, this is something that comes from the addiction and recovery world. And they actually provide a really clear picture and structure of these movements that I'm talking about. The first three steps say this, we admit that we are powerless over our addiction, that our lives have become unmanageable. The second is that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And the third, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. 12-step programs are all about people returning to their vomit. But an alcoholic who makes no longer drinking or sobriety, their only goal is engaging only in basic behavioral modification. In the AA world, this is referred to as a dry drunk. Genuine transformation is about getting beyond the white-knuckling, lip-biting gritting of our teeth. Burke, who's a guy on my staff, told me this story about a gentleman that he worked with when he was still, uh, when Burke was still in his training. Uh, this man was a recovering alcoholic who was sober and absolutely convinced that he could drink a beer and be okay and have no consequences. And so his, t- his counselor at the time, who was not Burke, said to him, okay, this week, I want you to go to a bar and I want you to have one beer. And that's it. it. Sounds like a really great idea, doesn't it? And so a week later, the client comes back and he's all excited and he says, I did it. I went to the bar and I had just one beer and that was it. I told you, I'm good. And this counselor said to him, that's really great. I'm so glad you were able to do that. Hey, let me ask you, how often did you think about that beer this week? And the man looked down and said, constantly. See, our fundamental sinful nature can only be solved with true transformation. The end of Romans 7, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is through Jesus that our nature is transformed. But let's be clear. Transformation is not a passive reception of the delivery of Jesus. Unfortunately, I won't become organized just by asking Jesus to deliver me from my folly of disorder. St. Augustine said it this way, pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. Now, I mentioned in the beginning that we recently had new grass installed And when that sod is rolled out like carpet, uh, it appears to be this beautiful transformation. In fact, it's often referred to as an insta-yard. But the reality is, unless you take tremendous care of this new sod, it won't take root and become your new lawn. Well, we had the misfortune of having this project happen over Memorial Day. I don't know if you all remember, but that was when it was like 90 to 100 degrees And until this weekend, it hadn't rained for about a month. And so the only way for that sod to really take root and to become our new lawn was for me to water the heck out of it. Behavioral modification would be 
Grass is starting to look kind of brown. Let's go get some more rolls of sod and lay them on out. But true transformation is that sod becoming a part of the existing soil. A deep bonding that right now is aided and activated by watering to eventually be transformed into our new lawn. You see, I had to do something, but I also had to allow something to be done. With the appropriate maintenance, had to kind of allow nature to take its course. It's more than just a surface behavioral modification. Transformation is a combination of both the Lord's saving work and our active response to his invitation to join him in the work. And herein lies the saving work of Jesus and our participation and confession. And I might add, proclamation. In and around all of this is the confession and proclamation of not only our sinful nature, but our utter dependence on Jesus and our need for the saving work of his death and resurrection. You know, every one of the 12 steps has this tone of confession to it, and some more directly than others. Step five is a direct confession. We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step nine is about making a direct amends. It's a confession. Step 10 is continuing to take personal inventory. It's a recognition. And admitting it, another confession. You know, it's often said that confession is good for the soul. Well, theologically, we would say it's also necessary for the soul to be given life. This entire passage of Romans 7 is one long recognition and confession and ultimately proclamation. The first two verses of chapter 8 say this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the sin, from the law of sin and death. Paul Ochtemeyer in his commentary on Romans says this, only Christ has broken the power of sin. Only Christ can free us from that power. Only Christ can deliver us to a new life in which the the spirit of God can work his will. In the last of the 12 steps, The movements of recognition, transformation, confession, and finally proclamation of good news are all rolled up together. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to addicts and to practice these principles in all our affairs. This is the story of the gospel, the good news. We recognize our total depravity. We confess and are transformed by the saving work of Jesus, and we proclaim this story. The German theologian Karl Barth sums up his commentary on Romans 7 like this. There can be no doubt about one thing. By his own efforts, man will never deliver himself from this body of death, from existence under the law of sin and death. There is only one deliverance and life only on the basis of what this really is. The crucial thing is that in view of this reality, we should drop the question what we are and what is to become of us. The way leads forwards from the body of this death. It is not a way which we have trodden or ever will. It is the way which Jesus Christ has trodden once and for all. Who will rescue us from these bodies that are subject to death? 
Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you with grateful hearts for the work that you have done and that you have invited us into.